Hey everyone, before we get to this week's episode of The Final Third, I just want to let you guys know that you should all follow our Twitter. We live tweet games, give analysis, and talk all about the news that's happening around the world in soccer. So if you're a U.S. soccer fan or a soccer fan in general, give us a follow. We'll definitely follow you back. And yeah, it's at Final Third Show on Twitter. Again, that's at Final Third Show on Twitter. The link will also be down in the show notes below. All right, enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to episode two of The Final Third, where we give you a look at soccer news around the world, make predictions for upcoming matches, and discuss or debate different topics about soccer. My name is Jack Seepersod. I support Minnesota United, Chelsea Football Club, and Atalanta, BC. I also support the French national team. And I'm AJ Tabura. Uh, I support Minnesota United, West Ham United, and any team that has an American player on it. Yeah, so uh, we're going to jump right into our first segment here, which would be the big stories, where we take a look at five big, or uh, I believe this week we have a, a few more stories from around uh, the soccer world. All right, well, let's kick it off somewhere that's warm, because I don't know about you, but living in Minnesota, it's cold, it's dreary. I want to go to L.A., and in L.A., we also have someone that's escaping the cold and going to the beaches, and that's Greg Vanny, previously of Toronto FC, previously as a player, did play for LA Galaxy. He is taking the mantle for manager in his former club, and this is obviously big news because we all know LA Galaxy is one of those those quote unquote super clubs in MLS. You know, spends big. Uh, the, their their past manager spent a lot of money getting players like Christian Pavon, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and now they're kind of blowing it up. You know they got rid of they got rid of a uh, GBS from before, bringing in a domestic coach, less of a of a glamour move and more of a, a utility move. Greg Vanny, obviously with Toronto FC, won the domestic treble with them back in 2017, getting the Supporter Shield MLS Cup and the Canadian Championship. He is an amazing manager, one of the best in MLS. I'm really excited to see what he does with uh, with all of his, the players down in down in LA. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, um, it's a great signing by the LA Galaxy. Greg Vanny is obviously, uh, a, I, I'd argue, sort of a coaching legend, at least for Toronto and for MLS as a whole. Yeah. So, uh, it will be interesting because LA Galaxy really struggled this past year after losing oh, Zlatan because, you know, they kind of based their entire team around him. It was cross or past Zlatan, and he would make something happen. So uh, I think with Vanny's skills and uh, his tactics that he can transform the LA Galaxy, which already shows so much promise, into something, uh, a team that's really scary to play against. So I, I think it will—I don't like it much— uh, as a Minnesota United fan, since we'll have to play against them presumably twice yeah. uh, in the upcoming season. But it'll be really interesting to see what they have to offer. All right. And do you think do you think LA is going to make it to the playoffs this year? They missed it the, uh, last year, but how about this year? It's tough to say just because we don't know. There's so many unknowns with the LA Galaxy uh, regarding like transfers and loan moves as well with some of their players. Uh, yeah, Christian Pavant's yeah. not. Uh, doesn't look like he's coming back. That'd be a huge blow if he doesn't. Yeah, so it'll be. There, there's a lot of unknowns, but hopefully, uh, you know, they're a historic club. They should probably be getting into the playoffs with regularity, and uh, you know, I I think they could if if Vanny gets the tactics right. I think it'll be good. All right, cool. Well, why don't you take it off with the next story? Yeah. So speaking of. People who are escaping different situations. Uh, Greg Vanny obviously leaving the cold. And uh, Mesut Ozil looking to leave the coldness, uh, apparently, of Mikel Arteta and Arsenal. That's good. To uh, He's looking at a few different destinations. One is DC United. You know, they're, uh, they're known for picking up some big-name players. But also looking ever more likely is moving to Fenerbahce, the Turkish club. Just a... 
just today, I believe, he said that uh, Fenerbahce is the biggest club in Turkey amid tons of exit talk. And, uh, you know, he's been answering a ton of questions on his Twitter, and it looks like that is where he would like to go. He either wants to go to the MLS or he wants to go to Turkey, which is, uh, he talked about on Twitter about how he's always been a fan of uh, Fenerbahce. And, you know, it, it looks like it could be looking like a loan move. Uh, although the club want to see him through the summer, I don't understand why, since they just put him on the bench, but or not even on the bench, not even in the squad. Yeah, not even. <laughs> uh, you know, he he deserves to be playing week in and week out. He's a he's a World Cup winner. Even if some of his quality has faded over the past few years, he's still a top notch player for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, I do believe he is of Turkish descent. He is a a German na- national team player, but uh he he does have friends in high up places in turkey uh maybe controversially who knows but it would be a good move i think i think the turkish super league is a good level for him i mean he hasn't played in a while but he still obviously has talent doing him looking forward to seeing him play arsenal in the champions league with uh, him or actually well it's arsenal they're europa league let's uh let, let, let's dial it back we'll, there. We'll see huh? if they even make it there. We'll see. Yeah. The MLS front office has submitted its first uh, collective bargaining agreement negotiation. And they're looking to extend the current CBA uh, for the next couple of years. As we spoke last week, the MLS front office put in to action the force majeure clause, which basically says... Let's scrap the current CBA and let's let's make a new one because of recent events of because of the pandemic, unforeseen circumstances led to us losing a ton of money. And so now the MLS Players Association and the front office gets to have 30 days up until the 28th of January to discuss a new CBA to go forward with. And what MLS has began discussions with is actually just a continuation of the current CBA past its expiration date. And at, you know, at first glance, this does seem pretty interesting. This does seem like a pretty good deal. However, when you really look at it, what it means overall, and the reason why the front office is doing this is because it actually reduces the salary increases. Uh, with the CBA... Uh, the players were going to get a bump in their salary, a bump in the minimum salary, get some get some concessions out of the owners. But now that they're extending it, the amount that they're going to increase their salaries is going to decrease. So even though they're not necessarily losing out on any potential uh, salary, they're not getting a salary cut at all, it's still going to hurt them in the long run. So... Uh, if I was the Players Association, which thank God I'm not because I would not like to be in this situation, I would probably deny this, and I bet they will considering it's the very first very first offer. So, you know, we'll see where that, where that goes. Hopefully things can get sorted out for the MLS season to begin on time, but, you know, we'll see. What do you think, Jack? I mean, it's uh, not much to really say about this right now. We don't have much news on it yet, but... Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, we, we talked a lot last week about how, you know, the players deserve a lot better from MLS. And hopefully, given everything they went through in the last season, they're willing yeah. to actually make good faith efforts, which according to the actual contracts and procedure, they're supposed to make uh, 30 days of good faith efforts uh, to create a good contract. But... You know, uh, given that they did lose so much money, I'm somewhat skeptical that they will, but I'm hoping for yeah. the best. Obviously, it's way too early to tell if uh, anything's going to happen or, like, what will happen, but uh, we'll be keeping up with that story for the next month or probably several months in all reality. Take it away with the next one. Yeah, and uh, speaking of new contracts, once again, uh, this is a bit of sad news for both AJ and I. As yes, uh, yes. Columbus Crew have continued uh, to make such good progress building an already champions quality team as they, you know, won MLS Cup. They signed uh, 
the winger or attacking midfielder Kevin Molino from Minnesota United. And Molino was, uh, he's 30 years old, but he played for Minnesota United for all four seasons they've been in MLS so far. And he just had his best season in MLS, producing nine goals and four assists throughout the regular season, and then making two multi-goal games in a row in the playoffs, where he scored two against Colorado and two against uh, Sporting Kansas City. And, uh, you know, uh, Molino's a really talented winger, and the Columbus crew really pounced on what was a big mistake, I think, by the Minnesota United front office when uh, they uh, gave him what they said was their best, but Molino wanted better and honestly probably deserves it. So, uh, AJ, how are you feeling about Molino's transfer? Uh, I'm obviously sad about it, and I'm also scared because the Columbus crew, uh, through the MLS's back tournament, people were saying they're the best team, and when the regular season hit, they lost a couple players, but obviously in the playoffs, they came back and proved that they're one of, if not the best teams in the entire league. I mean, imagine lining him up with an already stacked team of Bradley Wright Phillips, Artur, Zellerayan, Darlington Nagby, Zardes. That's, that is a front, a front line that is going to scare the bejesus out of all MLS defenders. I mean, that, that, that's an early championship contender right there. So I am excited to see what the crew do. I'm excited to see how Molino does next year. And hopefully he doesn't score a hat-trick against us when we inevitably see Columbus next year. Speaking of hat-tricks, I wasn't even trying to do that transition, but we have a special hat-trick coming out of the Bundesliga. In fact, the very first American hat-trick out of Matthew Hopp for uh, Schalke. And Schalke were on a horrible skid. Still kind of our one win doesn't change everything, but they were on a 30-game winless streak. One away from tying the record, and if they reach that, that'd be pretty embarrassing. But thank God for Schalke, and thank God for Matthew Hopp. The first American with a Bundesliga hat-trick Got three goals in quick succession, but to me, it's not even him that's the one that should be getting recognition. Obviously, he's a good player. He was there at the right time. He made great runs. He was great at finishing. Absolutely amazing. But we also have to shout out Arit, who assisted all three goals of his and got a goal himself. Uh, in addition to that, what I think actually uh, unlocked both of them is... Uh, Arsenal's loaned player to Schalke, Kolasinac, which I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, he provided great leadership. He was the captain, came back to, to Schalke. And even though you know he didn't really have too amazing of a game on paper, you know, I had an 84% pass rate, he still provided a lot of great leadership and coverage behind Arit. And that's what I think allowed Schalke to play as well as they did. Now that they have veteran presence behind the left side, it really unlocked their attack. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, uh, obviously it's really great to see when any American does well in uh, Europe because it shows uh, what a bright future the U.S. men's national team has. And it also just shows how, you know, any player who is struggling so much, like uh, Kolasinac was struggling at Arsenal, he wasn't getting game time, you know, any alone can be so helpful for anyone. And uh, I think uh, with Kolasinac at the back, Schalke might be able to actually avoid relegation, which would be astounding Maybe. since I think before this, they might have had four points, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, from four different draws. And you might remember at the very beginning of the season, they lost 8-0 to zero against uh, Bayern Munich, which was not a great start to the season. And... You know, this might be the thing that can turn it around for them. And I think if they do, it would be pretty astounding if they came back from that. Mike, take it off with yeah. our next story. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we just talked about a bit of a relegation battle. So let's talk about more of a title race in one of my favorite leagues, uh, which is Serie A. 
And uh, I, I love studying Syria. I actually took a soccer history class last semester, and we actually got to study the culture of it. And it was really interesting, and it produced, uh, reinforced my love for the league. But uh, earlier, we saw two teams really running away with the league. At the, at the outset, we saw AC Milan and Inter Milan really going, uh, going in. And AC Milan is still doing great, but... The title race is heating up quite a bit with, uh, there is, are six teams currently within nine points of each other, and I mean, uh, that's probably about the main contenders that I would guess for the Scudetto this year, uh, and we have AC Milan at 40 points, Inter Milan at 37, Roma at 34, Juventus at 33, Atalanta, my favorite team, at 31, and Napoli at 31. So just going through some of the results from this past weekend, Roma and Inter Milan had a crucial clash for second place. Inter Milan could have moved within one point of AC Milan, but they actually ended up... They were winning in the 63rd minute after uh, Lorenzo Pellegrini from Roma gave them an early lead, but they ended up tying 2-2, which kind of hurt their... Uh, chances a little bit. Meanwhile, AC Milan kept cruising with a 2-0 win over Torino, and Atalanta absolutely soared, crushing newly promoted Benevento 4-1. And meanwhile, Juventus, after a string of somewhat unflattering results, uh, were able to come back with a 3-1 victory over Sassuolo, who were flying high at the beginning of the season as well. Juventus were able to deliver AC Milan their first league loss uh, in the in the season, which uh, we'll talk about a little bit more in the prediction in the prediction section at the end of this. But you know, it was quite a game with Juventus coming ahead three to one to blow this title race wide open. Yes, indeed, and what a game that was, and what a league this is turning out to be—a a real a real title race. And just to round off the the big news, real quickly, uh, we saw. A record signing for Ajax of the Eredivisie, and that's Sebastian Aller from West Ham going for 25 million euros about, and that turns out to be an Ajax record. And as a West Ham fan, obviously I'm, I'm disappointed that we recouped a loss for him. You know, we got him for more than 40 million, sold him for 25, but at the end of the day, he didn't fit our system. And I can see him fitting really well in Ajax. Immediately, when Ajax played uh, PSV this last weekend, he played really well. Unfortunate to get a goal called called off because of VAR, but was able to get a good assist in the 2-2 draw between Ajax and PSV. You know, that's all we have to say about that. I mean, let's, uh, let's look out for him in the future. Yeah, so I think we're going to move on to our next section, which is a addition that we had planned, but... Initially, actually forgot about, I believe, for episode yeah. one. But, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a really fun section, and AJ had a lot of fun planning this out. So uh, we're going to move on to the U.S. Men's National Team Corner, which is just a roundup of how our uh, U.S. stars abroad performed in their games from the past week. Yeah, lightning fast, you know. We're, we're about to go off all the important players that you need to know from the U.S. men's national team, where they played, how they played, some analysis on which t- which players are going to which teams. So, you know, let's let's uh, kick this off in England with the EFL Cup and the FA Cup. We had Zach Steffen, our number one goalkeeper, getting a clean sheet against Manchester United, getting a good save against Bruno Fernandez, and leading Manchester City to an EFL Cup final against Tottenham in April. He also got a clean sheet against Birmingham in the FA Cup as well. Next, we have America's darling, Christian Pulisic. He subbed in in the 67th minute in an FA Cup match. Uh, Chelsea against Morikambe. Is that how you pronounce it, Jack? You tell me. Morikambe, I believe, is how you pronounce it. All right. That does sound like a British way to pronounce things. Uh, He had a quiet game, 11 for 13 and passing, but he killed the game off. That was the reason why he came on, and overall... You know, did an okay job at that. Uh, moving on to the Bundesliga, we talked about Reina and Adam swearing off in RB Leipzig and Borussia Dortmund last week. 
And even though the game was exciting, you know, 3-1 victory to Dortmund, both of these players kind of had quiet games, not much to really speak on. In fact, Adams might have been responsible partially for some of the goals that Erling Holland and uh, Jaden Sancho eventually scored. But overall, not much to take away from this. But there is a lot to take away from something we sp- spoke about earlier. Schalke versus Hoffenheim. Matthew Hopp obviously scored the hat trick. First Bundesliga hat trick from an American. What a way to do it. What a way. Not much to say about that. So let's move on further south to Italy, where Weston McKennie scored against AC Milan in Juve's 3 1 victory. Good timing on the goal. He also started in their game against Sassuolo, but he came off pretty much in the first 20 minutes as a precautionary measure. He had a really good back heel pass, and apparently when he was doing that, he kind of tweaked his leg a little bit. But thankfully, they took a look at it, uh, able to sense it early, and now he is day-to-day. He'll miss their Coppa Italia match, but will be ready for their next league match next week. So now let's head out in the West. We had Reggie Cannon playing some pretty good games with Boa Vista. He's played every single minute for Boa Vista this season, both cup and league. And because of that, he's attracting interest from Lille and other French teams. So good for you, Reggie. We had Sergino Dest playing both Barca's 3-2 win against Bilbao and their 4-0 win against Granada. He's been a key player for them, making really good runs, making key passes, and becoming one of their most creative players. We had Yunus Musa coming on late for Valencia's 1-0 win against Real Valladolid. He made an insane run that should have ended up as an assist if his teammate didn't absolutely scuff the final chance. I mean, he had pretty much a Gareth Bale-type run, if you've ever seen that run where Gareth Bale runs outside of bounds, comes back in, and continues the running. That's pretty much what he did. And I don't know. He's a great, he's a great player, and I really look forward to seeing more of that for the U.S. men's national team. And finally, some transfer news. We had Brian Reynolds to Juve. Uh, they're looking to come up to a decision on whether or not he's going to transfer and for what fee. Hopefully that comes to fruition soon because two players playing for the best team in Italy would be a sight to see. We had McKenzie to Genk, one of the most expensive signings for the Belgian side. He's looking to be one of their key players slotting in on the right center back side. And finally, we have Jordan Morris, some news actually out of MLS. Jordan Morris says he is looking for a move to Europe, but he's open to staying in Seattle if there is no interest. He's getting up there in age now, in his mid-20s, but he's always had the talent to move on to Europe if he ever so wanted to. That's pretty much all the news from the U.S. men's national team. Uh, Check us again next week when we bring you all the great news coming out of U.S. soccer pool. And now, Jack, with that out of the way, it's time we talk about our discussion topics. You know, we talk about U.S. soccer-centric topics, and we also talk about more international-based topics as well. And so why don't we get started with our U.S. soccer-centric one, where we talk about all about what's going wrong with Inter-Miami. Can you catch us up to speed about what's going on there? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, I, I, I want to do a bit of a correction. It's uh, actually not Inter-Miami, it's Redacted Miami for the Ooh, time being. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Uh, don't want to get the copyright office on your back. Yes. But uh, one of, there's been many problems with Miami. Uh, they finished 10th in the East last year in the Eastern Conference, which was good enough for the playoffs, although they lost to uh, their expansion compatriots, uh, Nashville SC. And... To make matters worse, they were sued by Inter Milan for copyright infringement as they had a trademark on Inter in related in relation to soccer marketing in the in the states. So uh, they recently lost that lawsuit, and to make matters even worse, they fired their head coach after only one year at the club. Diego Alonso is on the way out, and supposedly David Beckham is looking to hire Phil Neville, who is currently coaching the England women's team so uh a lot of changes coming and there's also not been much much roster improvement but there's a lot of things that have been happening out there but there's also a lot going wrong uh i i believe but 
how can they fix this and how and what's causing the problems first of all but how can they fix it so there's a lot to talk about with this uh but uh you know i think obviously right off the bat it's a big loss with the copyright claim especially oh, yeah. that's that's a big part of their brand they're trying to beckham is sort of making miami into more of an international club uh, hence using the term inter at the beginning of the name and trying to market it more to europe which has succeeded in some places but uh that's a big part of it so uh he seems to be trying to make miami into a brand rather than as much of an mls team in some ways uh because the rest he and the rest of the front office seem almost to be stuck back in 2007 when he made his transfer to the la galaxy when big names and branding was the best way to succeed in mls like that that's that used to be a pretty standard formula for helping to move forward at least in you know mid 2000s going into the 2010s but that formula for success is completely different now and it it mostly comes from signing younger latin american and south american talents and it's proven to be successful, you know? There, there were some steps made in that direction right away, uh, signing Rodolfo Pizarro from Mexico. But uh, a lot of other things ha- have happened uh, with that. And after some early struggles, they kind of reverted back to that formula and brought in Blaise Matuidi, World Cup winner with France in 2018, and uh, Gonzalo Higuain, uh, who scored, I think, one goal, in the uh, in eleven games or something like that. Yeah, he also missed uh, that one penalty, and all the Philadelphia Union players kind of got in his back for that. You know, started mm-hmm. taunting oh, yeah. him. So. Yeah. So he with and no disrespect to them, but they're getting past their prime. Uh, you know, Matuidi yes, doesn't exactly. play for the French national team anymore for a reason, and Iguain, same thing for Argentina. He doesn't play as much for them anymore for a reason. Uh, but it seems like Beckham and the rest of the front office just seem to have not quite adapted to the new norms of the league. So that that's kind of my my first take on like what the main issue is. Uh, yeah. AJ, what are you what are you thinking about? I completely agree. I think Miami is trying too hard to be sexy, and it's a problem I see a lot with these big name clubs. In MLS, we see that with LA Galaxy a little bit. They're doing good moves with getting Greg Vanny, as we spoke about before, but they were really prone to signing big-name players and thinking that's going to fix all of their problems. We saw that with you know Zlatan to a small, small bit of success. You know, he, They got to playoffs. He, he broke some records, but at the same time, not much came of it. Now we see that with Chicharito. With LA Galaxy doing stuff like that, with you know looking internationally, we see this with Manchester United or Barcelona trying really hard to be sexy, getting players who who might be past their prime, might be big name players, but aren't actually going to add that much to the squad. Uh, getting players that might appease the fans, and it's honestly kind of disheartening to see. I think a lot of it comes from disorganization right off the bat. Uh, from the beginning, expansion teams need to have a plan. Minnesota had a plan. It kind of fell apart. So they built, they had a slow build, a three-year plan, so to say, back up to where they wanted to be. Nashville SC had a plan. And that's how they had a deep run into the MLS playoffs. Their plan was, let's get good American domestic guys to build a good core. Players like Zimmerman and McCarty and build off of that, build a very defensely sound system. And it worked for them. And that didn't work for Miami. Miami, they had a head coach hired maybe a couple weeks before the season. It not very it's not a very good sign if you wanna if you wanna buy into the team to have a head coach not come in until pretty much the last minute. You know, the system that he was building wasn't that great. The players that they brought in were big names, really exciting names. But at the end of the day, they were sexy. There was nothing to build off of. There was no good domestic core. There was no real plan in place that would lead you to think that they could be playoff contenders. 
and even though they were 10th place that's 10 out of 13 that that, that that's they made the playoffs sure but i i think i think it, it was not a great season at all for them and i think the way that they fixed that is by going back to basics bring in a guy that's not phil neville because let's be honest he's not gonna fix the team and bring in a guy that knows the league bring in players that know the league stop trying to be this this super glamorous team and instead try to build an actual team built for success what what do you think they should do to fix their problems right now because there are a lot of them yeah well i just wanted to add in real quick like you know the loss of this copyright battle seems to showcase uh a key problem of uh miami and it's that they lack a clear identity right and I think what needs to happen is this offseason, you know, it could be longer than, uh, you know, two more months. Hopefully it isn't, but uh, they need to sit down and have a discussion about what do we want this to be beyond a brand? Because clearly that's not what what's going to produce success. What do we want this to be and how can we get there? And I think, you know... While a three-year plan takes a long time, it produced a lot of success for Minnesota. Yeah, And yeah. I think that it might be worth taking a look at making a two- or three-year plan just to say, okay, here's what we're going to build our team around. Like, this is how we're going to structure it. Because, as you said, there was absolutely none of that coming into this. And then, you know, they need to find a coach who has experience either in MLS or just in like the US because they they need someone who can help them out and learn the league because you know uh, as good of players as Blaze Matuidi and Gonzalo Higuain are they they haven't adapted and I think a lot of that comes down to the coach uh, probably could do an even better job adapting yeah. and producing a good system do you think uh, do you think Phil Neville's that that answer no not a chance of course um, not 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 a chance at all i think that you know you you need to get someone who has a clear system who has knowledge of the league uh and who has some history with producing success from somewhat underwhelming teams i guess would be the right word to use like uh you know while miami has star power you also need someone who can get the best out of everyone like you know uh that that's what the best coaches do they're they're not the ones who would just use their star players uh, because, you know, look at how that look at how that's going for Barcelona and Ronald Koeman right now. It's it's not going as well as it could be. And y you need to have that structure or else you're going to be doomed. Basically, that that's that's my take on it, at least. Yeah. Do you have any names that they could look at or should have looked at? Because right at the bat, I, I'm thinking. I'm thinking they should have gone for Greg Vanny, you know? I I I honestly don't have like any list of, of the of the coaches that they should go for. Uh because to be quite honest, I'm just not sure who's available at this point. But uh, you know, they 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 need to find someone quick because bringing bringing another manager in like a month before the next season is supposed to start isn't going to cut it this time around yeah especially with uh you know the playoffs were adapted last year so they got in basically out of being in the right place at the right time really uh and in a normal year that won't cut it so they're it they're going to need to find a way to improve and quick they need organization and that should lead them to success because they definitely have the power to get there it yeah. it, it all comes down to organization you can't build a solid house on a terrible foundation that's very very true and i i want inter milan not inter milan oh my gosh yeah i want inter milan to leave them alone because inter miami is a fine name in fact i think inter miami you know what i think they should rename to ac miami really really just rub it in no, <laughs> that, but... that would be an, that would be an interesting one uh yeah i i I'm not sure if it reflects the identity they're going for, but, you know, it would be very funny. At this point, what is their identity? I think Inter-Miami, I, I personally want them to succeed because 
I, I view them as one of the teams that can push MLS forward, as LA Galaxy did in the early 2000s and the early 2010s. They have the power to bring in good players through David Beckham, and it's all a question of if he's able to use that to his benefit instead of just getting whatever big-name player can sell the most tickets, can sell the most shirt sales, can can actually add to the team instead of add to the brand. Yeah, well, uh, I, I, I think I've covered everything I want to say about that as well. So, uh, you know, David Beckham, if you happen to be listening, I, I know we have one viewer in Florida. Uh, you know, if, if you're listening, maybe listen. I don't know. Uh, maybe you take some of the ideas. We'd appreciate a commission, though, if you could, uh, yeah. if you if you use that. Uh, but moving away from maybe uh, the domestic stuff, let's go more into an inter an international thing because it's a very relevant topic based off of mm-hmm. this past weekend, uh, and it's about the FA Cup because it, in my opinion, the FA Cup is an incredible competition, but in recent years. There's been a there's been a little bit of turmoil in it, and our di- our discussion for today in international uh, topics is going to be how can we improve the FA Cup, because you know there's a lot of criticism of the FA Cup in recent years, so how can we improve it? And you know there's some news to cover with this because there were some big things that happened and shows why the FA Cup can be so special. Newport County versus Brighton, which was a game that I was watching with, uh, because uh, I really enjoy watching Newport County. Basically, it comes down to uh, my FIFA Ultimate Team badge when I first got FIFA 19 <laughs> was Newport County's, and I've been following them ever since. So, nice, uh, nice. with with that, they went went down in the 90th minute. It was zero to zero. Brighton score in the 91st minute, and Newport County force a cross. And Jason Steele, the Brighton goalkeeper, makes a terrible punch and scores an own goal. I think it's actually Adam Webster, the center back for yeah. Brighton, who gets the own goal. And it and Newport County, this League Two team, take Brighton, a Premier League team, to penalties. And Jason Steele somehow transitions to Manuel Neuer and yeah, that, saves four penalties. That was, which an, was an insane awesome. shootout. Yeah, so... That that's kind of like the magic of the FA Cup right there. That uh, you know, showing how cool these games can be, and you know, Crawley Town in the same division as Newport County, uh, sixth in League Two, they took down Leeds United, who are a pretty good side in the Premier League. They're not the best, but they're they're doing really well, and they they beat them three to zero, which is a pretty big deal. Uh, like if it was one to zero, you could say. Maybe it's a fluke, but they comprehensively beat a team coached by Marcelo Bielsa and, you know, that's overperforming in the Premier League. And then we saw 8th Division Marine, non-league team, taking on Tottenham Hotspur, which I saw so many tweets about how in, how weird it was for the Marine fans to be looking out their window and just see Gareth yeah, Bale. That was, which, that was so interesting. Which is just the kind of thing that makes me want uh, to like you know go to those kinds of uh, places and see that kind of stuff and experience it because yeah it it's such a cool thing and it's something that you can only get from a cup competition uh, and then we also saw Liverpool absolutely destroy Aston Villa probably as an act of revenge for their embarrassment against them uh, but it was against their basically their youth team uh, mm-hmm. and they beat them four to one uh, after Liverpool started pretty much their first team. And Blackpool took West Brom to penalties again and it, and ended up taking them down as well. Another Premier League t- uh, side going down. Uh, and then perhaps the biggest shock, I'd argue, was 6th yeah. Division Chorley taking out Derby County, which, you know, they're not doing great in the championship, but they're still a championship team, taking them out two goals to zero. And Derby were hit with COVID, so they have a little bit of... I guess, room to argue, oh, it wasn't our best team. But still, Magic of the Cup. And all of, all of these games showcase how special the FA Cup can be. But, you know, there, there's there been some problems in recent years because teams have been taking it less and less seriously. So how can we improve that? So, AJ, what are your, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, first of all, I have to say that 
I love the FA Cup. I love pretty much any cup competition. U.S. Open Cup, love it. FA Cup, love it. EFL Cup, I might be the only one that actually like cares about the EFL Cup. But to me, what makes the FA Cup so enjoyable and what I think we should really go towards embracing is the fact that it's a celebration of football, of soccer in that country. And whether that's the FA Cup or the US Open Cup or Coppa Italia, it's all about celebrating the soccer that's happening in that country. Because the way I see it, cup competitions like the Europa League, Champions League, that decides who's the best in Europe. And the Premier League and domestic competitions, they determine who's the best in that country. Gone are the days that the FA Cup determines who's the best in the country, as it was when it started out in the 1800s. Now it's all about celebrating the lower division, the pyramid of soccer in that country. And we saw that. I mean, everyone was tweeting about all the crazy things that are happening during the Marine game. You know, neighbors climbing up their trees so they can get a good view, air horns going off in the background. People making, you know, hand-drawn signs and putting it up against their window and against the gates. Like, that's what makes soccer so inviting, so amazing to watch, is the community. And as fans of higher division teams, both in England and here in the U.S. with Minnesota United, we kind of lose that charm once soccer gets commercialized. And so the way that I think we get back to really celebrating the FA Cup from a little bit of a, a flowery standpoint is by embracing the fact that it's all about bringing these communities that might not interact together and reminding uh, fans of bigger teams that this grassroots movement is something to embrace. And we saw that with Marine and Spurs. We had Spurs fans coming out and supporting Marine in, in with their finances, you know, donating money for their causes. It, it was an amazing sight to see. That's the magic of the cup right there. And that's something we should be looking towards to in the future. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, one major improvement that I think can accomplish that, uh, just maybe not even just in the FA Cup, but just cups in general, the lower seeded like the lower league yep. team should always host i always. completely agree i wrote that down i completely agree i mean it, it'll add so much it, it's way cooler to see uh, a lower league team in their home you know w- with their rabid fans in that smaller stadium than would be like playing spurs in the spurs stadium like that's not as cool yeah and it it also kind of helps mitigate the gulf i guess it because you know 8th Division versus 1st Division, as we saw in the Marine versus Tottenham game, can be a pretty big mismatch. And it would be really cool, especially, like, once we get past, you know, once we get vaccines out and, like, COVID, we can actually return to a new normal, you know? Uh, Being able to see the fans and having that 12th man, you know, for Mm -hmm. those lower league teams could be the difference for them and could lead to a lot more... You know, magical moments in the FA Cup where the lower league team puts up a big show and, like, creates a massive upset that you can't really get if you're in this massive stadium where, like, you know, you have all of your, like, uh, season ticket holders, all of your expensive facilities. It kind of loses out on that culture, and it and having them host, uh, having lower league teams host kind of can serve almost as a humility check as well. To some right. of these players who are making, you know, like, I, I saw a tweet that Marine's wage bill uh, for the entire week is what Harry Kane made in a single hour. Wow. Or like, uh, like wow. that that's incredible. And that's a huge gap. And just showing, like, look, this is, this is what uh, grassroots football looks like. This is what grassroots soccer looks like. And this is what we need to celebrate. And then, you know coming together like we saw in that game was so good to see especially like you know if you know anything about uh, football or soccer twitter it can get kind of toxic at times and it's good to see that being completely celebrated and so one big thing is obviously lower league teams 
host. Uh, second would be, I think it might be time to talk about Premier League teams potentially entering in earlier to the competition. Really? Maybe. maybe. It, it depends because I... I, I see why, like, uh, you know, you don't put as many in because it creates a lot of congestion and it gives more lower league teams uh, a chance to to make it. But I think then we get more hosting opportunities for those lower league teams, and I, I think it would be kind of interesting. However, I, I also wouldn't be mad if, you know, you even you kept it the same because I think just the hosting privileges can bring a lot back to it. Right, uh, and then you know there there's one other big thing, which has to be the finance part, mm-hmm. because uh, I I was uh, I've been looking at this and you know the FA Cup used to be a huge market for people like it used to be how teams made money a cup run was super profitable, now it's like it it to bigger teams you know like top six teams in the Premier League it's worth nothing pretty much. It's just another trophy that they can have. Like, Man City has won the EFL Cup, I think, last three years yep. or so. So, it, at that point, like, the trophy doesn't matter as much, and the finances to Man City, you know, earning a couple of million means nothing to them. That's like a third of a—or not even a third, a tenth of a player, maybe. Uh, a tenth of a defender for Pep Guardiola. Yeah, basically. Uh, and, you know, uh, it, I think that— the FA needs to start prioritizing it again, giving a little bit more money into it, make it a little bit more, uh, make it a little bit more glorious again. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, it's going to be tough to do that just because the culture has changed so much, but it would be interesting to see if it would change anything. Yeah. I think that that's definitely the case, what needs to happen. I'm going to have to disagree with you on the Premier League teams coming in a bit earlier I think as it stands now, it's a pretty pretty good system where they're coming in. I do think, I, I do think you know this is a celebration. The FA Cup is a celebration about English soccer, but at the same time, we don't want to over inundate the Premier League teams. You know, make it worse for them because they're already fighting for more rest in in terms of playing between you know Champions League, the EFL Cup, Premier League, and now with the with the FA Cup, that might get a little bit too much for them. But I will say that I do agree with the finances. The question is, is how do you raise enough money if not enough money is coming in in the first place? Like, sure, they have their TV deal, but you know, where's that money going to come from? Do you have any ideas on that? Absolutely none. I, I do not envy the job of whoever covers finances at the FA because it would be a tough job to do that because they're already spending a lot of money and I understand that but at the same time I'm I'm sure like you could come up with a brand deal or something to maybe help it uh, I I I I really don't know what would help raise that money because it the only thing that I can think of is just TV brands or asking clubs to pay into it which doesn't make sense Mm. because that's nothing for premier league teams and then you're really hurting like non-league teams and that goes against everything the cup stands for so i i have no idea how you would raise the money but i'm sure there has to be like a brand that would be willing to sponsor a little bit more you know maybe get like a youtuber like maybe mr beast maybe he wants to you know (laughs) who knows i i sponsored the fa cup great youtube title Mr. Beast's new videos, I gave a million dollars to the winner of the FA Cup. Yeah, yeah. Great great content. Win-win, really. Yeah. I mean, it is it is interesting to think that they already have Emirates Airlines sponsoring the competition as a whole. I mean, that they're obviously a rich, rich company. So you have to wonder, what else, what else can they possibly do to raise more money? Something that I've been thinking of and this might be sacrilegious to English soccer fans, but perhaps the winner of the competition gets a Champions League spot instead of it going to the top four. Uh, I, I I see your face. I, it's it is crazy, but that's the way it works here in the U.S. The winner of the Open Cup gets a Champions League spot. 
maybe to make it more important, you have the FA Cup winner going on to an automatic berth into the group stage of the Champions League, you know? Because that makes it a lot more meaningful to teams, especially once you enter the quarterfinals. Some teams are going to be like, well, we're not going to make the top three. Our best bet is to put everything we can into these FA Cup matches. And if we just destroy, then we'll actually get a chance to make to the Champions League. And that's where the money comes from. The Champions League obviously has a lot of money in it, so qualification would be a big deal to teams. That that might be a completely stupid idea, but I kind of like thinking about about two teams scrapping it out for that last spot. It would be interesting for sure. I think the one big problem with that would be UEFA, because you'd have to get them involved. And remember, the Europa League, their name used to be the European Cup Winners' Cup. Yeah. So it's it, the competition is really it's not really supposed to go to like you know sixth and seventh place, but it's just because the prim, like the top four teams keep winning it that it keeps going to like you know those teams. But it, it's supposed to be uh, a cup winners cup. Would it would be it would be interesting for sure. But I I think you'd have to do a lot of lobbying to UEFA to get I'll them do to. It. I to, will do it. You'll do it. Okay. Uh, you know, FA, if you're listening, hit him up. All right. So I guess in general with the FA Cup, you know, we have to admit that it is more of a fun thing, a celebration at this point than it is a super, super serious competition, at least in the, the first couple of stages. And we should really lean into that with letting lower division teams host. That that will help the lower division teams. I don't need, I don't even think we mentioned this. But that's a lot of gate receipts for them. That's a lot of eyeballs on them. They'll get a lot of money out of that, which will help them a lot. Uh, and we have to increase the the winner's pot size in whatever way that is, whether it's Jack's normal idea of getting sponsorships or AJ's crazy idea of just letting the, the final two just duke it out for a Champions League spot, which I still think is a great idea. And I will... I, I will go to my deathbed thinking that's the way it should be. All right. Well, well, let's go round out this episode by talking about some predictions for upcoming matches. But before we do that, let's talk about the matches from last week that we that we put predictions on. Do you, yeah. yeah, go uh, ahead. So we only had uh, we ended up predicting four matches, I, I believe, but we had Manchester City versus Manchester United in the EFL Cup semifinals. Uh, I predicted a 2-1 victory for City, and AJ predicted, I believe, a 1-1 draw, and then United, United winning on going penalties. Penalties, yep. <laughs> so uh, the way our scoring works for this is, you know, if you get the ultimate winner right, you get 10 points. If you get the score exactly right, that's worth 20 points. So I got 10 from that. AJ got zero. Um, Darn. And uh, Dortmund versus Leipzig, uh, AJ predicted a Dortmund uh, win, 2-1. to one. And perhaps he would have gotten that if Erling Holland wasn't a robot. But, uh, insane. Absolutely yeah. insane. <laughs> I, predicted, I predicted a Dortmund win as well, 3-2. to two. If only Leipzig were a little bit better in my eyes, uh, maybe, maybe uh, yeah. you know, I, I could have had that. But we both take 10 points from that. Uh, Milan versus Juventus, AJ started this out boldly saying Milan are going to win. And uh, oh, yeah. that did not happen. Yikes. Uh, I predicted a draw, which uh, did not happen. So no points for either of us. And then we had Villa versus Liverpool. Uh, again, I came close. I predicted two for Aston Villa, two four for Liverpool. Uh, if only Aston Villa had a little bit more firepower left in that uh, yeah. youth side. And uh, AJ... I was way off. Yeah. I was so far off. A zero what, what zero draw. A yeah. zero zero draw with Liverpool going off of penalties. I fully expected Jurgen Klopp to just be like, you know what? Let's just we have much more important matches. We want to win the league. Let's just put in some of our young guys. Instead, he just trots out this this terrifying lineup and destroys Villa. I I felt bad for Villa. I felt bad for myself for being so so naive. We both got ten points from that. So my overall total total ended up being. 30 points and aj ended up getting uh 20 points with that out of the way 
let's move on to the second round of predictions. And, uh, you know, uh, first of all, let's start over in France with, uh, is this the Coupe de France, AJ? This is the Super Cup. This the is Super the, Cup. The, the way that France and some other uh, leagues do it is they have their Super Cup in the middle of the season. I think Italy does as well. And I think they're going to be in the Middle East. So uh, PSG versus Marseille. Uh, or Marseille. Uh, AJ, what are you are you thinking a PSG win? Uh, I mean, you have to, right? This is Poch's first, you know, really big game. He's gonna wanna put all all he can. I don't think Marseille have the firepower to compete with PSG's electricity up front. And so I'm gonna say, just on that alone, two zero. Interesting, uh, because I'm thinking back to you know September. When Marseille, Marseille beat PSG 1-0 to zero in the league, uh, which was, you know... Different, you, different manager, come on. Different, different manager. manager, true, but at the and at the same time, PSG had started off miraculously terribly. Like, they, they were... I actually thought that, like, you know, they would be in a terrible situation right now, but they're, they're you know, they're, they're joint top, I think, right now. So, uh, but... You know, I, 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 I'd have to agree. Marseille, since then, it's all been downhill for them. They got blown out of the Champions League. So I, I'm going to go 3-0 to zero for PSG. Okay, well, let's go on to a very, very interesting match as well. Liverpool versus Manchester United in the Premier League. Both of them are on top, number one and number two respectively. This could be one of the matches that defines the Premier League season. What do you see it as? I, I certainly think it's going to define the season, but I ultimately think that it's going to define the season for Liverpool. And I think Liverpool will win this one. Uh, mm. Kind of a bold claim given that they've had so many injury troubles, but Man United, while they've been performing well, also don't seem to do it well enough consistently. And while they've pulled off some good results, they also seem... Liverpool just seem hungry all the time, even without, even with all their injuries. I think it will be a close one, uh, but I see it as a 2-1 win for Liverpool. All right. I, I, I think both managers are going to come into this knowing that this is a big game, but they're going to look at it more as a let's try not to lose because this game is so important. And, you know, I, I, maybe this is just the, the, the gambler in me, but I'm like, everyone else thinks that it's going to be a real, really big match, a really interesting match. For me, it's going to be 0-0. Zero, zero. Well, how about we go to another top-level, top-of-the-table matchup, Inter Milan versus Juventus in Serie A. You know, you said it yourself, Serie A is heating up with the title race. This can also have some pretty big, big impacts on how the league at the end shakes up what do you think yeah i mean it's a bit it's a bit of a tough one because juventus have kind of been hitting their stride recently you know they they started off really slowly in the league overall but they've really started to to catch it at the right moment and i ultimately think you know inter milan's form has been pretty bad recently uh i mean not terrible but they they lost to Sampdoria, and then they tied against Roma, throwing away a lead. And I think that ultimately, you know, Juventus are hitting their form, Inter are slumping. I mm-hmm. think it's going to come down to that sort of thing. Juve riding high are going to win this game. It's going to be close, but I think there's going to be goals to be had. Juventus 3 to Inter Milan 2. I'm going to go with another 3-2 scoreline. We'll see if it pays off. Okay. I'll be honest, I have that exact scoreline for those exact reasons. So you know what? You know what? I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to double down, actually. I'm going 4-3. Juventus winning. Cristiano Ronaldo goes off. Uh, We get Hakimi scoring a goal. Let's go with that. Lukaku scoring another. All right, so... Our next one, I, I'm actually going to let you take this in because I do not know as much about this league as you might. So right, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll let you talk about it a little bit first. So this is Ajax versus Feyenoord and uh, the Eredivisie. 
I'm not the biggest Eredivisie fan, I'll be honest, but I do enjoy what it brings to the table. Uh, for anyone in America, it is on ESPN Plus, select matches from uh, the big three teams. Ajax, obviously we talked about earlier a little bit. They're playing pretty well, especially against one of their arch-rivals, PSV, with a, a, an assist from Sebastian Allaire, their new marquee signing. I think this is going to be an interesting game. I think both Ajax and Feyenoord are part of the, the big three in the Netherlands, as along with PSV. And this is a very close league right now, closer than I think either of these teams wants it to be. Uh, Ajax and Feyenoord are only three points apart. Feyenoord have played pretty well in the past two games, uh, not conceding any goals. In fact, in the past four, only conceding one. So really, this comes down to, for me, recent form. I think Ajax, they are at home. They are going to get some some sway to them because they have who I, I who I think is going to be the best striker in the league. So you know, with these things in mind, with Feyenoord playing really well, but Ajax having that home field advantage, I'm going one zero, Ajax. Interesting, interesting. Because I'm I'm thinking a very similar thing. Uh, because Ajax, their last two games have both ended in draws. Their yeah, last yeah. five has been two wins or. Uh, I think it's, yeah, two wins, one loss, and two draws. And Feyenoord has had three wins, one loss, and one draw. Recent form, pretty similar. Feyenoord's a little bit, doing a little bit better. And I think it's going to be the opposite. I think it's going really? to be a 1-0 win for Feyenoord just because let, a lot of the reasons that you said I think are going to work against them a little bit just because Ajax, with their new signing, He's Sebastian Allaire. He's going to take some time to gel, I think. Even though he is a he's a good striker, I think he's going to take a little bit more time. He definitely played well in that last game against PSV. Who knows? Maybe maybe you'll be right. Maybe I'll be right. Maybe it'll be a four four draw. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> you never but, know. But what might not be a draw, most likely, is Chelsea versus Fulham. Our last game that we are predicting, West London one of your teams, versus relegation candidates, Fulham. What, what do you think about this game? Well, you know, it, it, you'd think that this would be a slam dunk for Chelsea, right? Yeah. But, but it's not, as a Chelsea it? fan, it's not. As a Chelsea fan, I am worried because our recent form has not been great. We, I, I, I hope that the win against the FA Cup, I know it's against Morecambe in the fourth tier, but... You know, I hope it provides a little bit more confidence. And Fulham, I think I think while they're doing all right, they've definitely been better in the past month in the Premier League. I think Chelsea will finally snap their winless streak in the league. I, I think they're on a three-winless three, uh, three winless streak at this point. I think they're finally going to snap it against their West London rivals. It's a big game for them. Like, you know, everyone talks about the derbies between, for Chelsea against Arsenal and Tottenham and how they're big deals. This is the real West London derby. These are Chelsea's real rivals. This is, this is you know, they their stadiums are like 15 minutes from each other. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're, they're real rivals. I think that Chelsea are finally going to win. I think it's going to be 3-1 to one for Chelsea. Uh, okay. And I think this is going to be a bold prediction. I think Timo Werner will finally snap his Premier League goalless streak. I, I I think he will. Bold bold claim, but I I just think he'll eke it out. I think he can do it. I can't wait to talk about this next week and be like, well, so you got guys got blown out four zero. How does that feel? Oh uh, no! I'll I hope play not. the clip. No, I. I'm going to bring this up. Fulham have drawn the last four league games against Liverpool, Brighton, Newcastle, and Southampton. They play very defensively. Uh, they started playing five in the back, going pretty pretty well, obviously, defensively. Uh, and they're able to surprise pretty big teams on the counter, on set pieces, as we saw with against Liverpool. So to me... I'm not so convinced that Chelsea can can eke one out here. 
Fulham definitely is going into this thinking that they are going to throw everything they have against the wall in order to beat Chelsea. I think that's going to motivate them uh, to a 1-1 draw. And I'm not the type of person that, that, that goes off of like player motivation as a really deciding factor. But to me, that alongside with their defensive management, ha- this has a, a draw that disappoints you written all over it. That's how I see it. All right. Well, those are our predictions. Next week at the end of the show, we'll go over these predictions and make five more predictions for next week's games. But for now, that's all we have here at the final third. Jack, do you have anything else to say before we wrap this one up? Uh, Just one last thing. Make sure that if you haven't already... Make sure to follow our Twitter. Yes, it's uh, you can find it at uh, our at is final third show, and uh, you know we we'd love to get some more followers on there so we can interact. Yes, uh, we will follow you back. That's how sure. down bad we are for followers. We will follow pretty much anyone back. Yeah, uh, it would be it would be great to have more interaction and uh, continue the conversations that we're having here and. Uh, so that that's the only real thing I have to add at the end there. Just follow at Final Third Show on at Twitter. Final Third Show, yes. And for anyone listening on any streaming services, which I guess would be all of you, uh, give it a rating if you can. Give us a follow. Tell a friend. Tell your dad about the show. It means the world to us that we have, even the small listener base that we have right now. It, it's a it's a lot of fun. So. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you guys next week on The Final Third.